Well, this morning, I want to encourage you, if you have your Bibles, to open them to what one New Testament scholar has said is probably the most neglected book of the entire New Testament, and that's the letter of Jude. Uh, If you're looking for Jude, uh, you can turn to the very back of your Bibles. You'll likely hit Revelation, uh, which is the last book uh, in the scriptures. Uh, But then just before that, we have the divinely inspired letter uh, of Jude. Uh, Well, today we're beginning a brand new sermon series, Uh, and if you have arrived at Jude, you will see that it's a very, very short letter. Uh, But nevertheless, uh, what what I think you're going to find through this series is that it's so theologically rich. Uh, And not only that, I believe Jude offers us some of the most beautiful statements uh, about God sustaining grace. And, And so I truly believe if we take the time Uh, to really meditate on the truths found here, uh, we are all going to be left uh, freshly amazed, deeply encouraged, uh, and clearly transformed. Uh, It's going to be so worth uh, the time and study that we put into this letter uh, over the next month or so. Uh, Well, before we read uh, verse 1, let me say a few introductory words about this letter. Uh, Most scholars agree uh, that the letter of Jude was written roughly 30 years after Jesus' death uh, and his resurrection. Uh, And what we're going to see in this letter is that Jude is primarily writing these words um, out of deep concern. You see, Jude was observing all sorts of immorality and, and false teaching that was creeping into the church. And, and these type of things were, were ultimately compromising uh, the teachings of Jesus. And so he tells uh, his readers in the second half of verse 3, he says this, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. He says, I'm writing to you to encourage you to stand firm in the faith, to fight for the gospel that you have been entrusted with, to steward the gospel. And certainly that is our charge as a gathering as well. We must stand firm in the faith, you know, in a culture that so distorts the truth, uh, in a world uh, filled with even many churches that don't teach the fullness of the gospel, we must be careful to remain faithful to the faith, to stand firm and to contend for the truth. And so that's, we're going to see, that's Jude's message. Uh, but, but prior to doing so, prior to telling them to contend for the faith, prior to telling the church to stand firm for the gospel, what we're going to see today is that Jude first reminds the church and insists that they contemplate the gospel. And so that's where we're going to devote uh, our time today. Uh, I don't know about you, uh, but when I'm reading the Bible, I have a tendency uh, to or, or, or even an urge to sometimes just quickly uh, read through the opening words or, or greetings of these New Testament letters. Uh, my mind and my heart sometimes just wants to get to the, the meat of the book and past the polite and formal ancient hellos. Uh, but I know you're going to strongly see today uh, that Jude's greeting is not just uh, a polite formality. Uh, actually, it provides us with a clear understanding of our identity uh, in Christ and reminds us what we can and actually will experience 
uh, when we follow uh, Jesus. And so today we're going to read uh, and break down verses 1 through 2. Uh, and in doing so, uh, we're going to first consider uh, the question, who is Jude? Uh, and then we're going to look at our identity in Christ. And then we're going to conclude our, our time together today by simply meditating on the infinite love, mercy, and peace uh, of God. And so let's jump right in. Uh, this is Jude, verse 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. So as we begin this letter, we see that Jude introduces himself to us. Uh, and if we want to be either uh, Greek or, or Hebrew with this, a more accurate reading of his name would be Judah. This is Judah writing to us, or even Judas. Uh, but for the duration of this series, we're going to stick with the English pronunciation. And so this is the book of Jude. Uh, and even just from these short, simple, introductory words, uh, I believe it's really safe to conclude uh, that Jude was a very humble man. And that's apparent not just because of how he is addressing himself here, but I think it's also apparent by what he chooses to leave unsaid about himself because we see here, uh, Jude says a few key things. First of all, he says, I'm the brother of James. Now, we know that James would have been very well known to the recipients of this letter. Uh, he was one of the key leaders of the early church. In fact, uh, the New Testament calls him one of the pillars of the church. Uh, James actually even has a New Testament letter included in the Bible as well. We know it as the book of James. Uh, but what we also know about James, it's important, uh, is that he was the younger brother of Jesus. And so, uh, you might get where I'm going here. If Jude says, I'm the brother of James, that would, of course, also make him one of the younger brothers of Jesus as well. But Jude never says that. Uh, he refrains from any mention of that. And so what that tells us is that Jude saw his primary identity not as Jesus' brother, but as what? Well, he actually tells us there in the text that he saw himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. Jude is saying here, uh, yes, he, he's my brother. Jesus is my brother, but Jesus um, ultimately is my master Jesus is my Lord. Uh, Jesus is my God. But of course, we know that that wasn't always so. Uh, because prior to the crucifixion uh, and the resurrection of Jesus, uh, we know that, that Jude uh, and even, even James were quite far from being followers of their older brother. Uh, in fact, we could even say it was the opposite. We're told in John chapter 7 that his brothers did not believe in him. And even more than that, in, in Mark chapter 3, verse 21, we're told that Jesus' family uh, went out to him and they tried to cease Jesus and bring him back home. Why? Because they believed that Jesus was out of his mind. They believed that Jesus was, was crazy. But clearly now, uh, all that has changed. Uh, that because Jesus rose from the dead and appeared to the disciples— uh, because Jesus appeared to his brother James, and I think we can safely assume appeared to his brother Jude as well, they believed and they were transformed. And so Jude goes from thinking that his brother was crazy 
to now saying, Jesus is my Lord and I am his servant. And that word servant there, uh, it's the word doulos in, in Greek. And this is no casual word uh, for service. We have to understand this. You know, this word doulos, it was actually at times translated uh, as slave, but, but not in the way that we think of more modern day slavery where there is a dehumanization of people. Okay, that's not this. Um, Jesus didn't brutally force Jude to, to do things that he didn't want to do. But what Jude is saying is, this is not a casual relationship that I just walk in and out of. By calling myself a servant, what I'm saying is that this is a relationship that consists of total surrender, total sacrifice, where I have given up my ways and my will for Jesus' ways and Jesus' will. So uh, we're addressed by a man who has been totally humbled by the gospel. And then Jude provides us with a humbling description of the identity of a Christian. So let's continue in the text. It says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. So here we see that Jude expounds on what it means to be a follower of Jesus. He describes the Christian. And he gives us three traits, if you will. First, he says, to those who have been called. And so what is the identity of a follower of Christ? Well, number one, you have been called by God. You have been called by God. Now, uh, this word called is one of the most common one-word descriptions of the Christian throughout the New Testament. We see this phrase used a lot, actually, particularly by the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter in their writings. And it's really important for us to understand this word because it actually describes why you are a Christian. Um, It's a really interesting word. The word called here, it literally means to be summoned, uh, to be summoned. And so this is not uh, the optional word for calling that you would uh, use. Let's say to find some volunteers and then wait to see who responds. That's not what he means here by being called or calling. The word is one, uh, the word here is one that would be used more in the context of being summoned to court, okay? Summoned to court. And of course, we know uh, that when that happens, uh, you have to show up. Uh, When the court summons you to to jury duty, you better be there. Uh, There's no real choice there. And and so this is the parallel here. Uh, If you are a Christian today, uh, you need to know that you are one because you have received a gracious call by God. He has summoned you to himself. Uh, Look at how this word is used in other places in Scripture. Uh, for example, Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 4, um, says, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, listen, verse 6, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Or how about later in Romans chapter 8, verse 30, Paul writes, and those whom he predestined, he also, there it is, called, and those whom he 
called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Or how about Revelation chapter 17, verse 14? I love this. It says, they will make war on the lamb, that's Jesus, and the lamb will conquer them, for he is the Lord of lords and king of kings. And those with him, this is the church, are called, are chosen, and are faithful. And so if you are called by God, then you have been saved by God. If you have been called by God, then you have responded to the gospel. You have true faith. You have received the mercy and grace of God. And certainly you can't appreciate the grace and mercy of this call until you understand the condition of the human heart, right? Uh, Until you understand the nature of sin and its eternal effect, right? We we spent uh, a month or so ago, uh, right before Easter, we spent a whole sermon series talking about the gospel. And part of understanding the gospel is understanding the sinfulness of man. Uh, It's understanding passages of scriptures uh, that say things like, no one is good, no, not one, Uh, that the wages of sin is death, or Ephesians 2.1, which says that all of us, before this calling of God, were dead in our trespasses. We were dead in our sins. Uh, You see, before we were called by God, we know uh, we were actually enemies of God hostile towards him, we were dead, which means that we were both unresponsive and incapable of altering our nature or the nature of our hearts and turning towards God. And so understand, if you are a follower of Jesus today, it means you were called. And you were called because God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, made us alive together with Jesus Christ. It's by his grace that we have been saved. And so when Jude says here, to those who have been called, uh, understand that this is an invitation for you and I to recall our own conversion experience and to once again be freshly amazed by the amazing grace of God. You know, think about this with me today. If God had not called you, where would you be right now? Uh, if you want your heart to be stirred, uh, if you need some, some joy today, meditate on that. Meditate on where you would be without his grace and the reality that he called you even at your worst. Now, uh, there's a sort of unanswered question hanging there. Uh, Why would God do this? Uh, Why would he call you and me uh, at all? If, If we were dead in our sins, an object of his righteous wrath, and he called you, then why? What motivated God the Father to call sinners like you and me? And it's as if Jude anticipates uh, that question uh, because he says here uh, that if God called you, it's because he loved you. He loves you. And that's point two today. 
the identity of a follower of Christ. Number two, you are loved by God. You are loved by God. I believe that this is Jude's way of providing us uh, with the divine motivation for this call. In other words, when you look behind the calling of God, what you will discover is the love of God for sinners like you and me. And there's so much assurance here. You know, I can't, I can't tell you how many times I've had the conversation in pastoral ministry uh, where even genuine Christians, uh, sincere people of faith, struggle with being certain that God loves them. Uh, they, they think so, they hope so, but they are not thoroughly convinced uh, that in their heart, their soul, and their mind, uh, because of their shortcomings, because of their sin, uh, because of their past, they are not convinced that God loves them because they wonder, how could God love me? How could he love me? And so that oftentimes leads to a lot of doubt. And perhaps that's you today. Uh, You wrestle with the idea that you have a father in heaven who loves you. Uh, Maybe you're, you're sitting home today and, and you believe that God is merely just tolerating you or that God is often uh, disappointed with you or that he's even eager to discipline you. Uh, maybe you're in that place today. Uh, this is really a question for all of us. What do you believe God thinks about you? Well, uh, Jude here is serving our souls uh, with these profound words of assurance Uh, And even more than that, understand that God the Father inspired Jude to write these words. Uh, God has preserved these words here with you in mind to assure you and convince you of his personal, particular, and passionate love for you. Uh, Our Heavenly Father does not want any of his children to be uncertain about the posture uh, of his heart towards them. Uh, Because when we doubt or when we are stuck in a place of uncertainty about how God feels about us, his heart towards us, it literally affects everything. Uh, It will ruin everything related to your communion and fellowship with God. Uh, it It will ruin everything related to your service towards God. An improper view of the Father's love only ever leads to guilt, condemnation, legalism, despair, and an absence of true joy in your life. And so Jude says, God has called sinners like you and me. He summoned us through the proclamation of the gospel. Why? As an expression of his unending, passionate love for you. That's why he called you. Because... He loves you. Therefore, uh, every Christian can say, every follower of Jesus should say, uh, humbly, humbly can say, God the Father loves me. That's who I am. That's how, what he believes about me. Uh, you know, uh, I really believe it's so dreadful. It's awful uh, if we are not convinced of this reality. The Puritan preacher, John Owen, Uh, To this point, he actually went as far to say the following. He said, 
the greatest sorrow and burden you can lay on the Father, the greatest unkindness you can do to him, uh, what do you think it would be? Uh, when I first read this, my mind started to think of all of the worst sins. I just started to think of through those. Uh, but no, it's none of that. Owen says, the greatest sorrow, the greatest burden and unkindness you can do to the Father is not to believe that he loves you. And, and why would that be? Well, here's why. Because he, the Father, he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us. And so not love you? Uh, how, how could we be so unkind to ever think or to ever say that our, that our Father, who has graciously given us all things, uh, doesn't love us? I mean, try, try if you can with me. I know this would be difficult to do, but, but try to imagine interacting with the Father right now, standing before him and, and, and telling him, uh, Father, uh, I'm not convinced of your love for me. Uh, how would he respond to that? Well, I'm not God, uh, so I'm not e exactly sure what he would say, but, but I think it would be something like this. Uh, you're not convinced? Uh, what more would you like me to do? What else would you have me to do? I crushed my son for you uh, with your sin and my wrath for you. I crushed him. You aren't convinced that I, that I love you? Um, you see, when I don't believe God's love for me as displayed on Calvary, uh, Calvary, I'm laying sorrow on the Father. I'm being unkind to him. Because of the cross, because of that greatest display of love, we can be certain of his love. And so let me ask you today, uh, where do you look for that certainty that God loves you. You know, for far too many of us, I believe we, we look in, in the totally wrong places. You know, for some of us, we tend to look to our circumstances to be assured of God's love. Uh, like if we have a good job or a good relationship or uh, good health, you know, so many other things. If the weather is good even, then, oh, it means that God certainly loves me or loves me today. And, and are those thing, things bad uh, in amongst themselves? Of course not, no. But we don't and shouldn't uh, look at our circumstances to be assured of the Father's love. Uh, or, or what about looking within to find assurance, right? Don't we all often do that as well, right? We look within ourselves to try to discover and find a good reason why God should love us. You know, we look within to affirm that, like, oh, I, I'm special, uh, I'm unique, I'm doing good things, I'm working hard, I'm serving. Like, yeah, like, I'm, I'm worth loving. Uh, but let me tell you today, uh, please, please don't look within, because all you're going to find is shortcomings. All you're going to find is, is sin there. And I actually believe that most of the time when we look within to find assurance, 
It's really just motivated by pride. Because when we do that, I believe we really want to find something within ourselves that means that we are worthy of loving. We want to justify ourselves. But the scriptures are clear. There was not and there is not a thing within any of us that inclined God to love us. So then, how can I feel loved? How can I feel certain of the Father's love for me if I'm unworthy of it? Well, it's simple. Look away from yourself. Look away from your circumstances and look to the cross. Look to Jesus. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 and 10 says this, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And I could go on and on with other scriptures. But here's what we know. The cross ultimately says two things to us. First, it tells us that our sin is serious. It's serious. That Jesus' death on the cross is what our sin required. The Son of God hanging on a tree with the Father's full wrath poured poured out upon him. Uh, The cross is a strong reminder of our unworthiness to be loved because of our sin. But thankfully, it's not the only message of the cross because the cross also tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He crushed his son because he loved us, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The cross convinces us over and over and over again of the Father's love for us. So look to the cross and believe in God's great love for you. So Jude says, uh, here is your identity as a follower of Jesus. Uh, You are called by God. You are loved by God. And then number three, you are kept by God. You are kept by God. And so you might say, uh, those he calls, he loves, and those he calls and loves, he keeps. Now, uh, we're, we're going to be much shorter with this point because we're actually going to spend a, a lot more time on this idea of being kept uh, at the end of this series. But, but ultimately, we know what Judas is saying here, and actually the Greek uh, language alludes to this as well, is that We are not just being kept by Jesus, though that is true, but we are actually uh, in a state of being kept for Jesus. And so since it's God who called us, since it's God who first loved us, certainly we can be assured that he will keep us as well. In other words, God doesn't decide to love you and then unlove you. Uh, We are not adopted into his family and then later cast aside. Uh, He who started the work in you will bring it to completion. He is keeping you now and he will keep you 
to the end. That's what Jude is saying here, that we are kept by God. And so understand this. Uh, This is so incredible. Uh, Knowing that we are called, loved, and kept by God tells us that God's love for sinners, look at the timeline here. God's love for sinners starts in eternity past and extends to eternity future. And the entirety of the Godhead is involved here because we know the Holy Spirit is the one who calls you. It's the Father uh, who, who loved you. You are so beloved by God the Father. And it's the Son, Jesus Christ, who is keeping you secure. You know, I'm, I'm giving so few words to this right now, uh, but there's so much grace uh, to the reality that we are kept by God. Uh, he will protect and he will preserve us from all dangers, every stronghold, uh, every snare. No power of hell, no scheme of man could ever pluck us from his hand. He who called you loved you, and he who loved you will not abandon you. Never. He'll never abandon you. Jude begins this letter by informing us of the faithfulness of God to preserve those who are his through trials, through pain, through persecution, through a global pandemic. The church is secure in Christ. He will protect and he will preserve us. Now, uh, that doesn't Certainly, that doesn't deny our human responsibility or our call to persevere as well. Again, we'll get to that later in this series. Uh, But for now, for now, just to start, Jude just wants our attention to be on the Lord. Uh, That's where he begins this letter. This is all about his greeting, his introduction. It's all about what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do. So at least for today or this Sunday, uh, you don't have to think about any to-dos or any practical application, really. Uh, Jude starts his letter, and we start this series with what God has done and what he will do. And we'll get to our responsibility in the coming weeks. So uh, if you are a follower of Jesus listening to this today, understand why. Understand why you are a follower of Christ. Because God the Father has sovereignly and graciously called you because of his love for you. And he promises to keep you and preserve you for Jesus Christ. Then uh, we close here today with verse 2. And there is a clear connection between the second half of verse 1 and verse 2. Jude writes this. We'll start back in, in 1b. To those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. You see, as you contemplate, as you meditate on the truths of verse 1, that you are called, loved, and kept by God, you will experience in abundance the mercy peace, and love of God. They will be yours. 
and they won't just be added to you, they will be multiplied to you. You'll have them in abundance, Jude says. You know, what could be more comforting than this? That, that what Jude is saying is that we cannot exhaust the riches of God's mercy towards us. They just coming. They're overflowing in abundance because he is an infinite, loving God. And so let me encourage you. If you are lacking assurance or awareness of God's mercy, of God's peace, or his love for you today, again, go back and deeply consider what God has done in calling you and loving you. Deeply consider the cross. Look to the cross and then contemplate his promise to keep you. If you are following Jesus, you have been graciously called by God. You are passionately loved by the Father and you are being kept by and for Jesus. May mercy, peace, and his infinite love be yours in abundance. Let me pray for you.